Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. April 1st, 2020, April Fool's Day. That pretty much describes every day of the Trump White House. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the White House is having their coronavirus task force update right now. Well, in fact, Donald Trump is actually talking about drugs, a war on drugs. Dude, we see what you're doing. This is a damn joke. We're joined by Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms to talk about what's happening in her city when it comes to the coronavirus. Also, how do victims of domestic abuse deal with being locked in with their abuser? We'll discuss that. Plus, 12 prison employees in Florida have tested positive for the coronavirus. What does that mean for prisoners? Also, my man D-Nice will join us talking about club quarantine and how he's just turned into an international superstar DJ. Plus, the Alabama school board member goes off because not enough money is being spent on black students. We will talk with her. And Donald Trump admits Republicans want to suppress the vote. He actually said it. And Samuel L. Jackson has a message for you. Stay the fuck at home. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Mark Down Filter. Let's go. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's 
right, y'all. So right now at the White House, y'all going to get a kick out of this, okay? Uh, Donald Trump is actually standing on stage with generals and the military talking about the war on drugs. Y'all can go to the shot of my video, please. Actually, it's a joke. Uh, was actually happening right now. Uh, Y'all, it's a coronavirus. So he kicks this thing off with this big old announcement of how they're targeting narcotic operations. We know what the hell you're doing. You're now turning this damn daily press conference into 48 hours. We know what's going on. Anyway, y'all, the game-recognized game. All right, as of today, there are 207,535 cases of COVID-19 in the United States in three U.S. territories. 4,609 people have died as a result of the virus. 8,762 people are recovering from the virus. Now, again, in New York, the most grown-up person in the country when it comes to responding to what's happening is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. This is what he said today. In this war, we must plan forward for the next battle meaning we have been behind from day one. This virus has been ahead of us from day one. You don't win a war that way. The next battle is the apex. The next battle is on the top of the mountain. See that curve? You see a curve? I see a mountain. The next battle will happen at the top of that mountain. That's where it is going to be joined. And that's where the enemy either overwhelms our healthcare system or we are able to handle the onslaught of the enemy. On a personal basis, on a social basis, on a systems basis, we're never going to be the same again. We're not going to forget what happened here. The fear that we have, the anxiety that we have, that's not just going to go away. Uh, when do we get back to normal? I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal, right? Like we're seeing so many facets of society right now. So we will be at a different place. Our challenge is to make sure that transformation and that change is positive and not negative. Let's make sure we're taking the positive lesson and not the negative lesson. And Vice President Joe Biden continues to remind us how ineffective Donald Trump has been. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. What do you say to the American people who are confronting this new reality? This is bigger than any one of us. This is calls for a national rallying to everybody move together. I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism. You know, I laid out in detail what I would do if were I president today. And go to JoeBiden.com. And uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast, I call it Comcast. First of all, I have to take care of those who, in fact, are exposed or likely to be exposed to the virus. And that means we have to do testing. That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Secondly, I would make sure that every state in the union had at least 10 places where they had drive-through testing arrangements. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. This is an all-hands-on-deck. 
This is, as someone said, maybe as you, Jake, at the outset, this is bigger than any individual. This is bigger than yourself. This is about America. This is about the world. This is about how we bring people together and make the kind of sacrifices we need to make to get this done. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. A recent poll shows that Donald Trump's disapproval numbers are declining after a short coronavirus bump. Now 44% of those polled approve of his handling of the virus, while 51% disapprove. Vice President Mike Pence predicts the spread of the coronavirus in the U.S. will be comparable to that of Italy. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced a 30-day stay-at-home order. Also, Wimbledon has been canceled for the first time since 1945. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom says California public schools will not reopen before the end of the academic year. The Dow Jones dropped 1,000 points due to bleak health and economic projections. And uh, let me check to see if that idiot in Mississippi has actually uh, issued uh, a stay-in-place order. You remember, uh, you know, he's been uh, ignoring this issue uh, for quite some time. Uh, and let's see here. What did this fool announce? Um, so, so now, uh, Tate Reeves, the governor, is closing all non-essential businesses, beaches, and reservoirs. Now, remember, this is the idiot who overruled the mayors of Mississippi, including Mario King of Moss Point, Mississippi. We had him on the show the day it actually happened. He talked about how the governor of Mississippi uh, just overruled all mayors and declared nearly every business an essential business. But now that you've seen a rapid growth of cases in Mississippi, just like the food next door in Florida, now they're uh, now they're acting. Really? Oh, oh, guess who's still stuck on stupid? K. Ivy in Alabama. All right, let's go to my panel. Joining me tonight down today for A. Scott Bolden, former chair of National Bar Association Political Action Committee, Brooke Thomas, host controlling our narrative podcast, Derek Holly, president, Reaching America uh, podcast, a political analyst. Derek, I want to start with you right now. Right now, while we are sitting here talking, all right, y'all let me know when I can see, see the panelists. Right now, Derek, <laughs> this fool is having a news conference, pulling a bait and switch, bringing out Attorney General Bob, uh, William Barr, the Secretary of Defense, these other people, to talk about the <laughs> war on drugs. Dude, really? I mean, game I mean, recognized I'm game. I got it on. I have it on. Derek, Derek and so, all yeah. Americans are tuning in to say, hey, where are we with coronavirus? What's going on? He talking about moving some ships into the Caribbean. I'm watching it right now. And so, yes, they started out with I was I was curious too <clears throat> as to where they were going with this with this particular press conference as it relates to the war on drugs. I didn't understand it. But then I think they kind of tried to pull it together. When he started talking about all the numbers that come in from this part of the country uh, in terms of drugs, bringing in here and thinking that they could be bringing in the coronavirus. Nah, you so know, yeah, it could be a little bait you, switch you, you, there. You know that. You know that's bullshit. You know that's bullshit. But there, we know that's bullshit. Okay, they sitting there <laughs> talking about all oh, the cartels are trying to take advantage of the coronavirus. Scott, give me a damn break. First of all, if you want to have this announcement, you could have had this announcement at the Pentagon. But no, <laughs> you purposely, you could have had this announcement at, at the Department of Justice. But no, you purposely do it when folks are tuning in to watch the coronavirus update 
We know what he's doing. Donald Trump has decided 5.30 p.m. Eastern every day is going to be his daily television show. Sure. That's the deal, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that, it makes no sense because everybody who's tuning in is looking for the opportunity or looking for an update, not just on the causes of the uh, coronavirus and the deaths or the numbers, but looking about to see the game plan. How are you going to get us out of this? How are you going to lead us out of this? What is the game plan? And, and how is that game plan working? Uh, it's touched all of us directly or indirectly. And I got to tell you, I could care less about what's going on in the Caribbean or drugs or anything else. I want to know when we can get back to, uh, as the governor of New York said, the new normal, whatever that's going to be. You know, you got to fight this thing, as he said, you fight it at the apex, either you're going to win or it's going to win. But we need to be hearing more facts and, and uh, figures about that as opposed to drug interdiction, which you ought to be doing anyway. It's got nothing to do with the pandemic. And so uh, more disappointing leadership. I tell you, it, it, this is the idiocy and where you find out where there ought to be a litmus test for whether you can run for president or not, that you cannot be an idiot and run for president. You got to change the Constitution because this is where we're all suffering from uh, that not being one of the litmus tests for being president of the United States. Brooke, what's, so, what's such how awful this is, uh, this news conference has been going on since 530. We're now talking about 46 minutes. Are you actually trying to convince me that they're spending 46 minutes talking about drug interdiction in the United States when the greatest threat right now to the health and safety of Americans is the coronavirus? Give me a damn break. No, absolutely. And what you said earlier, this is his TV show every day. He's turning this into his daily TV show. I think it's more than that. I actually think this is a campaign round. Every single day, he goes out there, stands up in front of more Americans than have, would ever be willing to show up for one of those actual campaign rallies. And he has a campaign rally because he can't do it physically anymore. And what is happening right now, this weird conversation about the war on drugs, pair that with his tone yesterday and then the day before that with the weird conversation of, oh, impeachment, the impeachment talk, that's what ruined all of this. All of that is just a distraction because Trump has finally gotten to the point where he realized he failed. He is the reason and his leadership, his lack of leadership is the reason why the numbers look like they do right now. And uh, it's all a distraction. It's so, just a distraction. So, uh, because now you're focused on this and not how his failure. Right. So, Anthony, uh, you can you can go to my iPad. So now all the generals have walked off. Uh, you're going to see it in a moment, and now you're about to see the medical people come out. Derek, here's what's so funny. Literally during this deal, he goes, oh, uh, I now heard that I'm number one on Facebook. That's nice. Derek, that's precisely why we don't cover. That's why when Donald Trump goes to the microphone, we do not cover Donald Trump because he's going to lie, he's going to make stuff up, and he's going to say stupid stuff, and that's what he does. Fair enough, I, and I, I, I can't dispute that, but at the same time, I think when you speak about his administration and calling this leadership and all that kind of stuff, and you're talking about the rest of those people up there, too. And some of those people up there, there's some, I mean, they are well-respected in terms of what they do. And I think when you insult him, you're also insulting those people, and I just don't think that's that's no, accurate. No, second I disagree. Is, I disagree. No, no, is, Derek. I, I disagree. Disagree. Here's a, oh, oh, wait, wait, Derek. Wait, Derek. Wait, Derek. I'm gonna say this, and you can say your second point. When Dr. Fauci speaks, we go to the news conference. When Burke speaks, 
we go to the news conference. When, when that Stepford, uh, dad, Stepford husband, Mike Pence, speaks, I turn away. Because all he does, Mr. President, you've been so great, so gracious, so kind, your superb leadership. You've been amazing. You've been wonderful. I mean, give me a break. Uh, come on. That's, uh, that, that's his only job. His job, he is the hype man for Donald Trump. So the bottom line is this here. What, I, what our audience needs, Derek, we need trusted voices. What we don't need are people who are going to stand there and lie and make stuff up, and that's Donald Trump. Go with your second point. The second point I was going to make, as I was saying, we're in a global pandemic right now, and I think we, everyone, needs to come together. The heck what he says. If he, if he makes a butt of himself on, on stage, then that's fine. But we as a country right now need to come together and, and, and come together as a whole as we figure out what we need to do next but to deal we, with this pandemic. But, Scott, we cannot do that because the person who is sitting here making some of the most critical decisions uh, is Donald Trump. I'm going to Brooke first talk about this, Scott. Brooke, you can't do that because this is the person who's making critical decisions. This is the person who says he, he signed or authorized National Defense Production Act but won't use it. This is the person who says, I, he literally said today, well, you know, I, 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 I still understand why these hospitals need all these protection, prote protective gear. No, exactly. And I don't think it is disrespect to the people standing behind him. That's actually one of the failures of his leadership is that when they were giving him the information, he wasn't listening to them and making decisions based on that. It seems that he was completely ignoring them and that harmed us. So it's not to say that those people, the scientists and the, the, the experts, haven't been doing things the right way. It's that they're not the leader. They're not the president of the United States. And as much as we want to say, oh, ignore him, he is the reason. His lack of movement on this is the reason. His rhetoric is why Liberty University opened up and all of those kids immediately sit. It, it, it does matter what he says, unfortunately. I, I mean, I wish I wish that we could just ignore it, but he's the one who makes the decisions. And, and, yeah, but, and that, you know, Roland, and, and, Scott, that's, 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 the re that's the real he, deal here. Go ahead, go ahead. He, he, he won't do the work that's necessary. This is complicated stuff. I mean, you don't have to be a, a, a doctor to read, to appreciate. He's got the best minds around him. He won't put in the work because he's just lazy about it. And you can't be a strong leader if you don't put in the work and connect the dots and tell us how you're going to lead us out of this. I, I, we can forget about China and him saying this was the China virus and they should have told us and so forth and so on. We need leadership. And he's incapable of that. I, he, he just is. And so um, the governors and the mayors have just ignored him, basically, other than to play nice to get the supplies they need. But the federal government ought to be leading on this, and many states are leading on it, because they've given up with this administration. Uh, as they praise him for his leadership, at the same time, uh, they know they're not going to get the help they need, at least not efficiently, and they've moved on from him in many ways. Oh, uh, that's exactly what's happened. It's a joke. Uh, folks, do we have the, Atlanta, the mayor of Atlanta? Yeah. If so, let's go right to Atlanta. Folks, it has 599 <laughs> active cases of COVID-19 and 18 deaths, and yet Atlanta residents are not complying with their stay-at-home order. What the hell is going on? Y'all need to stay out from damn parks. Joining me right now is the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms. Uh, mayor, uh, I, what's wrong with these folks? Do, uh, do they, look, we done read thousands have died. People are literally dying. I'm sorry. 
I don't need to see some grass that bad and congregate with some other people. Well, Roland, hello. Uh, I believe the last time I saw you, you were dropping me off at my house. <laughs> see you again. No, actually, um, actually, I was in your car, and they dropped you off, so you hooked me up with the ride to my hotel. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, now, you're right. It, it was a long <laughs> night. But, no, really, I, th that story, in my opinion, was a bit overblown. Um, people, by and large have been complying with the order. We have the Beltline that runs through Atlanta. It's a beautiful walking trail that so many people are familiar with. And what's happening is that people are congregating there and they are still going into parks and playing basketball. So we do have some problem spots, but what concerned me most of all, a couple of days ago, I got in my car and I rode from one end of ML King Drive to the other end. And you know, in every African-American community, uh, ML King Drive really is representative of the heart of the community. Mm -hmm. What did disturb me was what I saw during that ride, that many African-Americans, especially young people, are not taking this seriously. Congregating in front of, you know, the barbershop or wherever they're hanging out, all these places that should be closed. And I think what people continue to miss is that this is happening to us, too. And even if you're asymptomatic, you're taking it home to your aunties and your grandmothers and your mothers. And we have all of the underlying conditions in the African-American community that make this virus deadly. We have asthma, some of the highest asthma rates in the country, high blood pressure, diabetes. You go down the list, it's prevalent in the African-American community. And so I think, you know, it really is about messaging, and I, I reached out to some of our local influencers yesterday asking could they please put it up on their IG pages and let and talk to people in whatever way people will receive this message because clearly they're not getting it um, watching network news. They've got to receive it in a different way, and people have to understand no matter what your age is, people are dying. Well, and you talk about passing on to the older people, look, we've done the stories on the numerous numbers of individuals who are in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, who are dying. Yesterday, we talked about one guy, he lost both of his parents, but uh, we had, a, we had uh, of course, the young brother, uh, a college student in Michigan, uh, who, you know, about to graduate in a few weeks, uh, he died as a result, got turned away as well. And so, we're trying to explain to all of these uh, young folks like, hey, you are not immune from this. A group of 70, these little rich white kids in Austin chartered a plane a couple of weeks ago when Mexico for spring break. Now 28 of the 70 have coronavirus. I mean, it's scary. And I, I even have this, this conversation with my 17-year-old my son. I said, you know, so many kids uh, smoke weed and they vape and do all these things that compromise their lungs, yep. they're not going in nearly as strong as they think that they're going in. And for my son, anyway, I had to speak to him in terms of his brother who has severe asthma. They all have asthma. And I said, listen, you, you've got to understand, if you get sick and you bring it in this house, your brother could die. Any of us could die. I mean, you right. know, any of us. But... When you're not coming in um, in tip-top shape, which most of us are not, it makes you even more vulnerable. And so what I can say about Atlanta, I've been talking 
communicating almost daily with Dr. Carlos Del Rio of Emory University. And I'm following his lead. He was the one who told me two weeks ago, you have until March 24th to shut this city down if you want to have any hope of slowing the curve. We immediately shut down the city. Our governor just announced today that he is shutting down the state. So I'm glad that the rest of the state is is coming along with us. On yeah, this wait, well, yeah, wait to finally wake the hell up, Governor Kent. Wait to finally wake the hell up. Well, you know, Roland, I'll just say better late than never. Um, you know, and I, I understand he had to go through his process and, and really understanding and, and really, I believe, hearing from President Trump that this is also hitting rural America. But see, that, and, but, but Mary, I get it. I, I understand. Look, I, I understand. But I, I, I look at, look, mayors have been leading. Really what's been happening around this country, mayors have been leading, then governors I can't get to the White House. I look at Mississippi. We had the mayors in Mississippi, including Mario King, Moss Point, Mississippi. They said shelter in place. Then uh, uh, what does the governor do? He then declares nearly every business in the state to be a, a, an essential business, overrules all of them. Then today he finally announces, uh, yeah, shelter in place. Why? Numbers skyrocketed. They've been begging DeSantis in Florida to declare, nope, he wanted that spring break money. He wanted all of that. Finally today, he declares it, and you're sitting here going, y'all, these are people who are dying. I had the corner of Albany, Georgia, not even an hour from where you are right now. He said, that's a city of 75,000 people, 71% black. Somebody went to a funeral and... Several people have now been, a number have been infected and now in the city, 30 deaths in that county. And I just don't understand why people want to play around with this. This is deadly. In fact, go to my iPad, Anthony. Uh, you even posted your mama came by the <laughs> house. You posted this photo. Your mama didn't well, come that, in. That was, was from a distance. Right. She said she to lay eyes on us. So she cannot... <laughs> come in our house, and thankfully, my 17-year-old son banned her from our house about three weeks ago. <laughs> he said that they were probably carrying germs, and she didn't need to come in. So she said she just needed to stop by and lay eyes on us. So she was coming from the grocery store. We let her pull up in the driveway, and we <laughs> waited. <laughs> but again, though, the reality is you're trying to protect your son, yourself, but also your mother. Yeah, I mean, and... What I suspect is happening, what's happening to all of us, we are, we know people who are sick. We know people who are dying. We already have at least 15 City of Atlanta employees who have tested positive. Mm. I have one friend who just had an oxygen tank delivered to her house today. She has been running a fever for almost three weeks. My college roommate's mother has been intubated and, in the name of Jesus, started breathing on her own today. She's been intubated for two weeks. Mm. And I'm sharing this because it's one thing for us to watch it on TV and we, we see how horrible it is in New York and these other places, but it's now in our faces and it's in our families and in our communities. And what I suspect with a lot of leaders across this uh, country is the same thing is happening. It should not have to come to that, but we are where we are. And it's just my hope that as we take a moment and we breathe, and I understand people are, are afraid, 
what worries me, our domestic violence numbers are up. Our yep. reports are, of child abuse are down. So we understand there's some underlying things that are happening even on top of this pandemic. And people are, are afraid about jobs and how they're going to eat. But what I've been saying to all of Atlanta is that if we don't get through this, we're not going to be alive to eat and to go back to a job and to do all these things that we consider to be normal. So it's a moment for us to take a take a minute, be still, and as leaders, our responsibility is to make sure that our people have the tools and resources they need on the other side of this. We've already started uh, sending out locally from our economic development arm, small business loans. We're not cutting off people's water. We're not doing, we're not towing cars. If you get uh, financial assistance from our housing authority, we're not evicting you. So there are a lot of things that we've done, what I consider to be very common sense mm -hmm. proactive things to help relieve some of this stress. But I, I elections matter. Yep. I'll just I'll just say that. Yes, if, absolutely. If we don't understand that this point that elections have consequences. I don't know what else will show us that. Well, we're certainly seeing that I think out of DC when you talk when you I mean to have the person sitting in the Oval Office, I, I can't call him president, sitting in the Oval Office questioning why do hospitals need so many masks and gowns. That to me is just beyond idiotic. You've got governors who are begging. Look, you announced last week uh, nearly all the ICUs in Atlanta hospitals are filled up. They're, they're being ravaged down in Albany, Georgia. I mean, this thing is happening, and you have someone who refuses to even deal with these companies who are also uh, jacking up prices. These companies who are trying to charge hospitals six and seven and eight and ten dollars for a mask when they normally cost a dollar. You need leadership to say, hell no. Time of crisis, we're taking this thing over. In fact, I saw uh, a video before uh, I talked to you. The FBI raided the home of one guy who was hoarding some 5,000 bo his 5,000 boxes of masks. He was trying to sell them up in a massive markup. He got his apartment raided by the FBI. I, you would think the federal government would use the powers to say, if you're talking about this is a war, you have to act like this is a war, and you can't have companies jacking up prices and forcing city officials like you or hospital districts or counties or states to spend millions more for something that, that costs pennies. You're, you're right, Roland. And, and in the same way that our hospitals and our medical professionals need this PPE. We've got sanitation workers. We've got parks and recreation workers who are passing out food to kids. We've got uh, police officers who need it. And what I uh, just had a conversation with my team before going on with you, and what I said to them, when, when we finally get our PPE, treat it like you're getting some gold bars and some diamonds, because this is the hottest market um, for this PPE, and it is frightening when you see that our national stockpile has almost been deleted. And what it says to me, this is simply a lack of preparation. And so when I even look at our response from our city, there are a lot of things you plan for as mayor, and you have to anticipate things that, that may come up. I didn't anticipate a pandemic. 
And, right. But what I can say as a city, you are prepared because you have an emergency preparedness plan in place. You have reserves, your rainy day money in place, and you're able to mobilize. And what it looks like to me is the federal government was just caught flat-footed um, as, as if this couldn't happen. And again, I'm taking it back to elections. This is why elections matter. You know, people would say, oh, he's going to get us all killed. I don't think anybody ever thought it would be through a pandemic. And when you don't have leaders who value preparation and who value all communities, then you are in a situation in the same way that we had to respond to Katrina because the nation didn't show up is the same way we're having to respond locally because we can't depend on our leaders at the top. And I mean, that leader, not all of our leaders, that leader at the top. We've got to be able to see about ourselves as local leaders. And I'm just glad that governors and mayors across this country are making the tough calls. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bounds, we appreciate it. Stay safe and thanks for all your leadership. Thank you. All right, then. I want to quickly go back to my panel. Uh, Scott, again, that's what leaders do. They lead. Mm -hmm. She gave the order before the governor did. The reality is there are people who were chirping at California Governor Gavin Newsom two weeks ago, but experts are saying his decision two weeks ago and the decision in Washington state has likely saved thousands of lives because <clears throat> they took the action. But here's the other deal. There were mayors who made those decisions in San Francisco, in Fresno, and th this is the point. Lives are being saved because people took it seriously two, three, four weeks ago, unlike this idiot in D.C. In fact, we are now one hour and seven minutes into this news conference, <laughs> have yet to hear from Dr. Fauci, have yet to hear from, from uh, Dr. Burks, because I'll tell you why, Scott. He saw what happened yesterday. They got too much attention, and so therefore... He wants to monopolize the whole stage. Go ahead. Uh, I want you to be wrong about that, but I know deep down that you're not. <laughs> I've said it before on this show, Dr. Fauci is who America is going to listen to, and he's the most powerful man in America during this uh, pandemic time period. Now, it'll be interesting. Uh, Keisha Lass Bottoms, uh, the governor uh, of California, all of the local and state heroes in this pandemic, uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, are just getting high marks, and and it'll be interesting once we'll get through this, and we get th and we will get through it. Uh, politically, what does that mean? Will the voters reward strong leadership, or will they not? Will they forget once we go back to some uh, normalcy, or will they remember? Uh, you know, Trump's bump in the polls was really interesting. But then yesterday, and now we're talking about drug interdiction, he's back down at 44%. Anytime he gets over 44%, the Republicans and independents who really like him and support him do a whole new story on it. But I have to remind them, he's not even uh, above 50%. Scott, Are Scott, you bragging or complaining? Scott, I got to interrupt you because uh, the real expert is now talking. Oh, well, let's go to him. <laughs> Are we looking at living with some sort of social distancing guidelines, essentially, essentially until there's treatment or a vaccine? For example, people looking forward to the summer talk about, you know, going to baseball games, going to concerts. We have political conventions over the summer. Are things like that?
possible or safe without a vaccine or a treatment in place? Yeah, I think if we get to the part of the curve that Dr. Burke showed yesterday when it goes down to essentially no new cases, no deaths at a period of time, I think it makes sense that you're going to have to relax social dis uh, distancing. The one thing we hopefully would have in place, and I believe we will have in place, is a much more robust system to be able to identify someone who's infected, isolate them, and then do contact tracing. Because if you have a really good um, program of containment that prevents you from ever having to get into mitigation, we're in mitigation right now. That's what the social and, and physical distancing is. The ultimate, the ultimate solution to a virus that might keep coming back would be a vaccine. Uh, in fact, I, I was on the weekly conference call with the WHO-sponsored group of all the health leaders in the world who are dealing with this. And we all came to the agreement that we may have cycling with another season, we'll be much better prepared, we likely will have interventions, but the ultimate game changer in this will be a vaccine, the same way a vaccine for other diseases that were scourges in the past that now we don't even worry about. Tony, how are they, how are they doing with the vaccine stuff? I mean, the vaccine is, is, as I said, it's on target. We're still in phase one. There were three doses that we had a test. We've been through the first two doses. We're on the highest dose now. When we get that data, it'll take a few months to get the data to be, uh, feel confident to go to the phase two. And then a few months from now, we'll be in phase two. And I think we're right on target to the year to a year and a half. And I'm asking uh, you and Dr. Burks, uh, have either of you received threats of any kind, or have you been given a security detail, given that you've been out here every day on camera speaking? Well, I mean, I, anything that has to do with security detail, I'd have to have you refer that question to the Inspector General of HHS rather than my answer that. Can I follow up on uh, testing? He is a security. Everybody loves him. Can I follow up on testing? He says that they'd be in big trouble if they ever attack. You know, he was a great basketball player. Did anybody start talking? Uh, we don't take them live uh, because all it does is make stuff up and lie. Um, it's just simple as that. Simple as that. Brooke, you heard Keisha Lance Bottom say elections matter. It's absolutely true. And this is pe people had better pay attention. And you've got an election in November, and it matters who is going to be in the White House for the next four years. So hopefully, not this idiot. So many. That, listen, this is the non problematic hill that I will die on. I wish more people would pay attention to that. Excuse me, I'm so sorry about that. Especially right now. Elections matter. Your local elections matter. You need to be paying attention to who is willing to protect you right now. Take a look at how your city council, your local, your mayor, how they are handling eviction in your area. Take a look at when your state governor, when your city's mayor was willing to shut down schools to protect people. Obviously, the presidential election, if we didn't learn, I mean, every other day we have a different example as to why that election matters. But I think people already know that. You know what I mean? People already know that it's important for them to vote for president. But it, it, right now, you're getting a look specifically at why. Look at what the district attorneys are doing. Who's sitting in jail at a higher risk yep. for this that shouldn't be? Look at the prosecutors in, in your area. Look at the city council. I, I, there's so many different reasons. Yep. Look at your pastor. How is your pastor handling this? Look at who is willing to protect you. Let me, because uh, I think the light is on everybody right now. Speaking of protection, I want to go to my next guest uh, real quick here, folks. Uh, you heard uh, Mayor 
uh, Lance Bottoms talk about this. Uh, folks, victims of uh, domestic violence are really, really uh, in a tough situation. Joining us right now is Amina McWhorter, founder of Love by the Hand. It was an organization that provides support for victims of domestic abuse. Uh, that was a boxer, uh, Amina, today, who was got his boxing license suspended because he posted a video last night trying to teach men how to beat their wives or girlfriends um, during this whole crisis. He said, oh, it was a joke. He issued an apology. But this is not a joking matter. We are seeing an increase in domestic violence as a result of coronavirus. Absolutely. First of all, thank you, Roland, so much for this opportunity to be able to talk about this. This is a, a serious situation because outside of COVID-19, Domestic violence numbers um, are on a high on a daily basis. People don't understand when it comes to domestic violence that it, it's domestic violence. Before the violence comes, the domestic part comes, which is verbal abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse that's happening now, even spiritual abuse from what we're seeing. So the tension building behind that is what is causing then that physical part. And we're in a very, we're in a crisis right now. And we know that. And so even when it comes to financial and not knowing how the money and where their checks are coming and people being laid off at high numbers, the increase of violence alone is high. So even with domestic violence, think about it from this point, Roland. We have a stay-at-home order. My God, stay at home. So you have to stay at home with your abuser who's mentally breaking you down, emotionally breaking you down, phys physically now breaking you down, and you have nowhere to go. And even on a global number um, that domestic violence comes in so many different forms outside of what we know even in the United States. So even China's numbers with the coronavirus and COVID-19 that was at a height even to the divorce rate. So this is serious. One in four, it was one in three. So without the coronavirus, one in four women. So let's just do, we already have to be what, 10 in a room? So one in four counts, but the numbers has changed in the last year to one in three. And one in seven men, this boxer who's doing this, one in seven men are even being abused. But because of ego, they don't talk about that. So, what does a person do? I mean, you're shelter in place. Correct. What do you do? So, so it's very important that during this time, number one, we do not pass judgments. Because until you have been in certain situations, then you don't even know or understand what it's about. So, we have to be very cautious and mindful of what's happening right now in people's homes. And so when people are reaching out to you, they're not going to reach out to you. But you know what we have to do, Roland? We have to reach out to them. So if, if someone is on your heart, if someone is in your spirit, if a name pops in, um, a, a song, a scent, whatever it may be, it's a, you a text away because they need to know that they're not alone. And so it's important. We have resources locally as well as state um, national domestic violence um, hotline, the 799-800-799-7233. I can give you those information. You have local. I am based here in Washington, D.C. And even in the DMV area, in Prince George's County alone, the number of homicides on a day outside of on a time uh, that we're in an epidemic outside of this, a pandemic, excuse me, outside of this, 
it is increased by even 500%. 500? (laughs) So we need to just reach out to people. Let them know that they are not alone. Give them local uh, foundation numbers, such as mine, and so forth. Pray like never before. Um, And so this time is very, very serious. Even when it comes to the increase in just one week, less than a week, Roland, less than a week, the domestic violence hotlines, local uh, foundations are seeing increase in numbers. And ironically that we're talking about this today on April the 1st, Roland, this is the month, April, of sexual assault. So when people are locked up, you know, I heard something, it wasn't funny, but, you know, it was what people were saying, come December, it's going to be a whole bunch of babies and stuff. Even when it comes to sexual assault, that's abuse. So now when you got the tension and you're going to come here and you're going to, you know, I want to be intimate. Domestic violence is with the intimate partner. Mm-hmm. An intimate partner can be parental. It's a, it's a spectrum of domestic violence. Doc, uh, first of all, Amina, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. We want to give folks the information. Uh, again, folks, uh, we want you to place that phone call, uh, get help. You should not be in a situation uh, where you are being beaten and you think there's nobody to, uh, to be there for you. Uh, Amina, thanks a bunch. Thank you so much, and I pray for all of us and be mindful that we are here together. Thank you, Roland. All right, you take care, folks. Amina McWhorter, founder of Love by the Handles. Got to go to a break. We come back. We go check with D Nice. Have any of y'all been being part of his club quarantine? Any of y'all? Brooke, Scott, Derek. Uh-huh. Well, we we, we <laughs> I was one of that one hundred thousand. Of course. First of all, we we know Scott ain't got no rhythm, so he wasn't there. <laughs> Uh, but I, I've seen I've seen Brooke at Club Quarantine. I tried to yeah. holla, I tried to holler at you, but it was too packed. All right, y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna go to a break. We come back. We go chat with D Nice, and of course, we're gonna also talk to Desmond Mead about what's happening in prisons in Florida, how they're being protected. We got also uh, this white school board member in Montgomery, Alabama. Y'all, dropped the like is hot. She went off in the meeting, basically saying we ain't helping these black kids because we ain't trying to help black kids. We're gonna talk with it right here, Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, um, this, this whole coronavirus deal uh, is driving lots of people crazy. They're cooped up in their homes. They can't go anywhere. They're sheltered in place all over the place. And what, what it means by being sheltered in place, that means that even if you want to go somewhere, you can't. Imagine being a DJ and your job is to be around a bunch of other people. Well, like many people, uh, DJ D-Nice uh, has been sidelined as a result of coronavirus. And so uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, he has been burning up uh, social media uh, with club quarantine. This thing started where it was just literally, you know, just at the crib and he was he was sitting around, he was just in the bed and he said, I need to figure out something to do, y'all. He jumped up. Did on a Monday, had about a couple of hundred people. Yours truly was right there. He's been my man for a long time. Then by that Saturday, it hit more than 105,000 people, including Michelle Obama, uh, Oprah, Joe Biden jumped on. It was crazy. Denise, what's up, man? 
You know I love you, man. You my man. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the very spot where it all began. So, again, as I was saying, you would, you would, you would just, like, look, you couldn't go anywhere. Look, gigs got canceled, postponed. And you were like, yo, I gotta, I, I gotta play some music. I needed to, man. I want, you know, I wanted to play music just for us because we, we party. Damn, I look real bad right now, man. It's quarantine, man. I need to shave, bro. <laughs> um, but uh, I was just sitting there, like, you know, just wanting to play music for my friends because usually when I'm at most of my gigs, I will see you, Kenny Burns, you know, Black Thought. A lot of the people that were in the chat room, we would always party together anyway. So. I figured, like, just being here playing music would bring some excitement to their lives, and um, and it ended up being becoming like this massive thing. And again, that first day it was like a Monday, man, with a couple hundred people. You know, yes. at the time you had about two hundred thousand Instagram followers, and then you DJed again and again, and then people, SS did a story, the Undefeated did a story, New York Times drops the story, and that Saturday. And I'm telling you, I was tracking it, y'all. So it was like 9 p.m. I go on, <laughs> and D-Nice had y'all. 9 p.m., he had 266,000 followers. Midnight, it was above 566,000. The next morning, it was nine. No, 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 this was Friday night. It was Friday night. Next morning, it was 907,000. By the time he DJed Saturday night, he had crossed a million followers, and the number's been going up. Uh, where are you at now? You at, what, you at 2 million? I'm at almost 1.9. Dude, I mean, it, 1.9. You you gave an interview where you said that Sunday, tears. You were just yeah, shocked. I woke up in tears. It, it was um, it wasn't just about the followers. It was when I realized that we had all done something special. Where we, uh, you know, something that started out so basic and simple with a group of friends ended up being something that helped so many people through a difficult. First weekend, that was the first weekend of, uh, of the quarantine. And people were, we, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to expect. So to play some music and knowing that, um, you know, giving from our hearts, because it wasn't just me. You were in there every day. Like I said, Black Thought, like all these incredible people, Kelly Rowland. We were all there together every single day and watched it build and watched it become what it has. And it's, it's been, a, it was a beautiful experience. So yes, I woke up in tears knowing that we did that. It was it was a trip that Saturday because I, as I was watching it, and it, you were just blown away by this next person, this next person. Then when Amy Schumer popped in, then Ellen, then Swiss Beats, and Alicia Keys, Janet Jackson, Oprah, then Michelle Obama, then when Biden, then the Sanders people jumped. It was it was just like it just kept going. It was like new level, new level, new level. And the beauty of it, dude, there were no VIP rooms. There were no VIP ropes. It did not matter who you were. There was no special place. It was everybody being in one spot, just enjoying it. Yes, it was fantastic, man. And it's that's the beauty of it. I cut it back. I scaled back to do it once a week now, so it'll always kind of remain with that kind of fresh feeling. And also. It just gives other DJs a chance to shine, you know. Like I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I invented this. You know, I had a, uh, I decided to throw the type of party that I wanted to throw, and it ended up working for so many people. But I try to spend more time like going in and supporting other DJs and other writers and popping in chat rooms and doing interviews just to give more support, you know, because you know we're all in this together, bro. You know. Well, let's also be honest. You went there. nine hours. I went nine hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no one goes nine hours. Right. I mean, that's... And in fact, it was... A, so let me tell y'all, uh, uh, get ready, uh, Derek. 
Scott, and Brooke uh, for y'all questions for D-Nice. So y'all, so, so D-Nice was spending on Saturday. Uh, no, Sunday. It was on Sunday. It was on Sunday. And so you were supposed to what? You popped on to do what? Three hours? Wait, which Sunday? That just passed? This past Sunday. Oh, no. I was only supposed to do 45 minutes. Okay, y'all. So he both do 45 oh. minutes. Okay. <laughs> and he's spinning. He's spinning. He's spinning. I got on late. And this is what I hear. All right, y'all. I'm just here 20 more minutes. D Nice sound like a Baptist preacher who close <laughs> with they when they say I'm about to close. Y'all, he went for another three hours. I was like, if he say 20 minutes one more time, I'm like, just stop. And then, then he was like, this is it. This is the final song. This is the final song. And I type, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. You did say you did type that. You did I said, no, it's not. Y'all, I said, he gonna play one more. And then Pebbles, oh, I gotta play this. I gotta play this. Pebble. And then he played it. Then a couple of few more. I like, I tried to tell y'all. Listen, man, when you have Halle Berry in your chat, in your IG live, and she's like, D, play more music. How do I say no to that? I mean, you, you just don't say no to Halle. I so. concur. <laughs> and that's and that's how to had Mimi Valdez uh, was the one who threw out hashtag very nice. What do you make of all the people uh, who are like, oh my God, are we watching this budding romance? Because Hallie has been showing you crazy love. Yeah, Hallie's good people. That's that's my friend. No, there's no romance. No romance. But if it is, you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't say no. Uh, let's let me go to Brooke. Brooke, here's D nice. What's your question? Up, First of all, this has been so much fun. It's been great because it's not just like an experience that you get to see everybody who's popping in kind of having the same experience as you, but it's really like hook it up to your speaker and have fun. Get out of bed, True. you know, uh, do something in your pajamas that you're wearing all day because that's what we do these days. Um, but were you surprised? I think for me, I was curious because the first time it went super viral, that was the Michelle Obama day. It was a hundred thousand people. But then the next day there were way more people and there were a lot of people talking like, oh, this, this is never going to happen again. If you missed it, you, it happened again the next day. Like that again. Were you surprised? When I woke up that Sunday morning, I was just shocked that we had reached, um, 100,000 people, because no one had ever done it. Like, last night, Drake broke the record. Drake did 300, but he's Drake. So he did 300K. <laughs> but the next day, I wanted to see if this was, like, like if it was real. And when I signed on, like, within 10 minutes, there's 100,000 people in there. Yep, yep. And we, we, we maxed out at 165, and I was like, wow, this is actually a thing. Like, people really enjoy when I play music. So that's part of the reason why I scaled back, so it can always feel fresh and fun and when they when I'm on, they know like I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna we're gonna have a great set. So yeah, I was definitely surprised though. Derek, what's your question for D Nice? D Nice, D Nice, yes sir. It was good. It was a good look, man. My question is, how do you take this momentum right here? And I know we're a long way from getting out of from being home, but taking this momentum with you after this coronavirus leaves us. I'll be honest with you, I I get offers every day, you know, like major, major offers. I mean, you, you name it, every network offering opportunities to all of the streaming networks. I personally just decided to hold back on having those conversations because what I'm doing started from a place of love and, and out of respect for people that are fighting through this, I just decided to take a week off to just sit back and, and just enjoy it and do what I'm doing now for the love. 
Monday morning, this coming up ne next Monday is the day when I start to look at the business side of it. I would be crazy to not look at the business side because this is what I do for a living. This is why I got into music for these types of opportunities. But people have definitely respected my wishes to just hold off. And this weekend, I'm going to take the time to decide on how I move forward with it. I know for sure I want to do, um, I want to take it on the road and do a, a club quarantine with, in, in, you know, five cities. Because I want people to actually come out and feel what I was actually feeling at home, not just through your phone speaker or not just hooking it up to your Sonos, but to actually be in a club environment and hear Sister Sledge and hear a Drake record mixed with Sister Sledge or whatever, you know, like the way I mix. So, but uh, the goal is to just come up with the plan this weekend and, and see what we can do to, one, um, you know, monetize this and also what we can do to give back to people because that is, we're going through a rough time right now, you know, and I, I would, everything that I do should be based on giving back, giving something back to people that are, that are suffering. And I'll be honest, look, I, 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 look, I ain't got no problems. I told you, D-Nice, uh, after that Friday night, I, I hit one streaming service where you don't have a time limit. Instagram, you got 60 minutes. I was like, yo, y'all need to do a deal with my man. He's killing it. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Scott, question. Hey, D-Nice, Scott Bolden here in D.C., been to a number of your parties. I don't think we've ever met, but I want to tell you, I can see a club quarantine in uh, the top 10 cities in the U.S. I know that has to be one of the proposals that came your way, like the physical Of course, structure. yes. And you and you, you spend on one night or all nights, or even you get some equity out of it. But uh, Absolutely. I tell you, my wife and her girlfriends were listening that night where Michelle Obama was on, and uh, they brought me into it. I jumped on. And what was amazing to me was your humility. Like we were, we were living with you while you were spinning, and you were as surprised as everybody, your audience, about who was jumping on. Like at one point, when Biden got on or Michelle Obama got on, you were like, Michelle Obama's on. Hey, y'all, Michelle Obama's on. You were amazed that we were living it with you while you were kind of narrating it. And I just think your humility made the difference. We wanted to get you to a million. We wanted you to keep spinning, and we wanted more celebrities and black thought leaders, black thought leaders to jump on with you, man. So a lot of love and support out here. God bless you. I appreciate it. Those moments, just full disclosure, I knew I put the call in to ask. The excitement for me wasn't that they were just in the room. It was that I actually called and asked, mm -hmm. and, and they followed through. So oh, that, to me, was, it, it kind of uh, showed me the influence that I have. You know, as a DJ, sometimes people kind of, like, attempt to downplay who you are. Not to say that I've had those issues, because I've done some incredible things even outside of DJing in my career. Mm -hmm. But usually when I'm playing, I'm in your world. If you hire me, this is your thing. Yeah. That was something that I created, and they all came to my world. So Janet Jackson came to my world. Patti LaBelle. Ellen DeGeneres yeah. came to my world and then posted it on her world and said, hey, everybody needs to go and follow D-Nice. Like, we, you need to see this party. Or Mark Zuckerberg yeah. probably had no idea who I was. And you know what? He was in there. He owns Facebook mm -hmm. and Instagram. And he was in there. So, and, you know, it just kind of showed me, like, the, the influence that we have as African-Americans and, and that mm -hmm. we're leaders in this culture. And we mm -hmm. did something that no one had done at that time. You know, like I said, Drake kind of broke the record last night, but... Even then, the way he did it it, 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 it pales in comparison to what we did that night. We yep. had everyone in there. And it Absolutely. was a time when we all needed to feel good about 
what we were experiencing together. So yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, it was our new normalcy. <laughs> well, and also also what I think is also great is that for a lot of people, especially a lot of young people who who have not heard a lot of these artists. I mean, you're playing, you're not playing the same stuff. I mean, you're going deep in the crates. Uh, and, and and people also are getting a sense of uh, 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 your love of music, uh, playing different artists. Uh, any of y'all out there uh, who missed the interview I did with D-Nice uh, in Chicago, go to our YouTube channel. We talk about yes. stuff that he's gone through. We talk about his history, talk about how he was high, then he was real low, how he's had to rebuild this and I think uh, D and, and, and people and look, folks, this ain't this ain't new to me. Uh, D Nice about knowing each other for years. Uh, he knows yeah. the moment I if y'all, this is a true story. This is a true story. I'm in New York. I don't know what the hell I was there for, and I'm in New York and I run into one of my fans on the streets of New York who was with her mama and her kids, and. I'm, I go to my hotel, so I meet them, take, it's like took a picture of everything. I go to my hotel and I tweet, what the hell is going on in New York? It was like 10.30, y'all, I had nothing. I was like, I'm like in my hotel. And somebody said, Roland, D-Nice is spinning at, I don't know what hotel it was. And so the sister who I met and her mama, she said, these kids are driving me crazy. Are you going to this party? I was like, hell yeah, I'm going. She met me at the party. I said, D-Nice <laughs> is spinning. And it was a crazy, it was the craziest thing. And I told my, a bunch of my other followers, I'm going to this party with D-Nice. I'll see y'all there. It was a hookup, man. We danced all night. Because you know, uh, and I told people, y'all think I'm lying when I put it in club quarantine. I've helped D-Nice uh, pack up. I don't leave Absolutely. parties early. <laughs> no, no, he will stay. Come on, Roland brings the funk. He will stay until the end. <laughs> uh-uh, I don't believe in leaving early. Nah, you know, I'm always happy. Whenever I see you, I know it's definitely going to be a party because you go straight, you'll go straight to the stage, man, you know, and just set it off. If someone's standing around, you'll get right in the crowd. We've done that. We're uh, congressional black caucus. Like you'll right. get out and right. just do your thing, man. So you, you'll have so much love and respect for you. Well, I can't look, I have a very simple philosophy with parties. If I go home and my clothes are dry, I'm pissed off. <laughs> but if I go home and I got to peel my clothes off, that was a party. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait after, uh, again, uh, we have dispatched of this coronavirus for that first get-together. It's going to be crazy. Bro, you've been on F Jimmy Fallon, the LA Times. Uh, so many amazing things have been happening. God has been blessing you in a tremendous way. Yes, sir. I'm just glad yes, to sir. know you. Uh, I appreciate all that you do. And, man, we're going to keep tuning in and just keep doing you. You know, I love you, brother. Good to see you all. All right, D. Talk to you. Get back to Wait. club quarantine. Uh, I mean, my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, drink more of that right, water and, and not more of that alcohol they keep sending you. Oh, my gosh. They sent yeah, you so much alcohol, you can open up your own liquor store. I was saying to someone, either my friends love me or they they are, they are know that I have a problem. <laughs> uh, way too much alcohol in here. <laughs> but the one person, look, just now, I just before I got on with you, Will Smith sent me another shipment of, like, Eight boxes of water. See, I love Will. Will right. is awesome. he just, He's sending he, water. He just, he just sent you some just the other day. Yes, and now there are like eight more large boxes of water. I'm like, yes, Will. And in fact, uh, that that Saturday, when you you were when you were DJing, when you when you hit a hundred thousand, uh, you were like, yo, somebody call Will. He needs to get on here. So I, cause Jada was on. So Jada I, was on. So I sent him a text. I was like, yo, D nice, like get your ass on the uh, club quarantine. 
Get and on. You know what? He got in, and that same night, he sent me uh, cases of water with a beautiful note. But no, Will is a classy dude, man. Yep. Yes, yes. That's that's the one thing that I love about Club Quarantine is that we brought so many beautiful people, not right. in terms of physical beauty, but just like beautiful spirits together in one room, in one chat, and we were all there together and experiencing that moment. Yes, sir. Um, at, at the same time. So it was beautiful, man. Yes, Thank sir. You. Derek, you got a question in, didn't you? No, no, I'm good. You didn't get a question in? Real quick, go, go. Oh, yeah, I did. I asked my question already. Oh, you did. Okay, I was about to make sure you, uh, you did. D-Nice, man, I know you got an uh, interview coming up. Brother, always good seeing you. We'll chat soon. All right, later. All right, bro, take care. That, uh, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Uh, Club Quarantine has been uh, really absolutely fun. I gotta go to a break. When we come mm -hmm. back, we're gonna talk with my man Desmond Mead about what's happening in Florida prisons. 12, 12 prison guards got coronavirus. What does that mean for the inmates? Next, Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keeps it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. Now what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who is a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, it goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, so we talked about what is happening, uh, of course, all around the country, uh, sheltered in place. But imagine being in prison, a breeding ground 
for coronavirus. We've seen this take place in Rikers Island in New York, some other places as well. In Florida, the number of Florida prison workers who have tested positive for COVID-19 jumped to 12 on Monday, according to the Department of Corrections. Three of the employees work at Blackwater River Correctional Facility in Santa Rosa County. A fourth person works at Appalachia Correctional Institute in Jackson County. The latest count of infected workers is a jump of four over the number of cases reported by the Corrections Department in late February. So how are inmates being protected? Well, joining us now is Desmond Mead, president of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. Desmond, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, Marlon, thanks for having me on, uh, Roland. Uh, I could, let me start by saying this. You know, I think that measure of a country is gauged by how it treats the mo its most vulnerable. You know, and so when we're talking about the coronavirus, you know, a lot of folks, you know, place a lot of attention on, on the elderly. But believe it or not, there are a, there's a greater concentration of these pre-existing medical conditions that uh, makes a dangerous a coronavirus dangerous to folks in prisons than you have in this country. And so what we're seeing here in Florida uh, is, you know, especially we have a governor that seems to be Johnny come lately to a lot of these uh, 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 remedies. Uh, what we're seeing is the potential of turning uh, our prisons into a morgue. And you have to have a response to it. When you talk about uh, distancing, the reality is you have people who are congregated in very tight spaces. Yes, and so, and you're right. You know, the, on March 17th, we wrote uh, a letter to the governor and, and, and how we was approaching this, uh, this pandemic was that there are several ways that, that we can alleviate or relieve some of the potential of the coronavirus ravishing prisons. Uh, one way is releasing people early. You know, you have a lot of, of inmates that are over 65 that are terminally ill that could be released. You have a lot of inmates who are uh, less than a year from being released. The governor could uh, exercise his clemency powers and to get those folks out of there. Uh, you have folks who are up for uh, parole uh, um, that could, the governor could actually impact. And then, of course, you have folks uh, we could stem the flow uh, of, of people who are incarcerated by slowing down the amount of people who are entering into the jails. Right now in Florida, we have over 175,000 people who are behind bars, and that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, it is absolutely that. And again, when you talk about, you had Senator Kamala Harris and others who've been calling on of the Bureau of Prisons and State Prisons to look at this uh, release, low, uh, you know, low-level offenders, uh, folks along those lines. Uh, and then, then, of course, you still have the people who, who believe in throw the key away who are like, look, you know, these are hardened criminals. Keep them in there. But this is still also a health risk to the workers in these prisons who also yes, have families. And as a matter of fact, you know, in, within our recommendations to the governor, we also uh, paid a lot of attention to the guards. Right now, you're seeing 12 guards who are impacted. They not only have the potential of, of infecting inmates, but then they're taking it back to their community. They're taking it back to their homes. And so we're asking for the same type of approach that you would use on medical professionals, uh, same type of approach that you would use for people who are working in nursing homes, that you should also apply those procedures to guards. They should be wearing masks. They should be having a, a, a protective gear. They should be provided with any necessary supplies, equipment, uh, and, and garments that's needed to prevent 
they're, them getting infected and to prevent them actually transferring them to the inmates. You know, just a couple of days ago, the governor made a statement about wanting to prevent cruise ships from uh, um, um, docking at the port of Miami. They don't want cruise ships uh, docking in Florida, right? But uh, every, each prison is like a cruise ship that will eventually dock, right? At some point, people that are incarcerated, they will have served their time, and they must be released. And so it is incumbent upon us, uh, it's really incumbent upon the governor to take some uh, a bolder steps. Do not, he don't have to wait for White House guidance, right? He should be, he's the governor of this state, right? And so therefore he should take the steps that's necessary to prevent this from uh, rolling out of control. You know, why wait for somebody to die before you take actions that you could have taken before their untimely death? Well, we are we are talking about the person who waited to do a shelter in place uh, and allow coronavirus to spread. Today, finally made that decision. Uh, and again, that's uh, how weak leadership. Speaking of weak leadership, I want to ask you about this. I'm going to bring in Cliff Albright on this as well. Uh, Donald Trump pretty much let the bat just just verbalized what we all know the other day when he was on the Fox News and made it clear that Republicans are all about suppressing the vote because they know they will lose. I want to get your thoughts on this. Y'all press play. An email from Kevin for you, Mr. President. Uh, if there is another relief bill, how can we stop lawmakers from dipping into it again for special interest projects? Man, we were just talking about this. Do you want to expand? Can well, we stop the next one? It's just, it's just the common facts. I mean, they have a majority in the House, and therefore you need their vote, and they want to get certain things. I, I will tell you this. If you look at before and after, the things they had in there were crazy. Uh, they had things, uh, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. They had things in there about, uh, you know, election days and uh, what you do and uh, all sorts of uh, clawbacks. And they had things that were just totally crazy. Uh, but Desmond, of course, you have the amendment for there in Florida. Uh, you, boy, you've been, y'all been fighting the Republicans there. Uh, they lost in court. I saw your tweet this week. Uh, and to hear Donald Trump say that all those things, restoring voting rights to formerly incarcerated, same day registration, all those things, Republicans don't want to make it easy for people to vote because they know if you can keep the vote low, they Stand a bare chance at winning. Let me tell you, Roland. The first, the first impression that I get when I when I was hearing those comments is it's something that 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 we believed even during Amendment Four, right? And, and is that that I think the biggest problem with what's going on right now with the coronavirus is that it has become politicized, right? Uh, when when you, you're talking about Democrats versus Republicans. You know, because whenever anything becomes politicized, the only people that suffer are the regular people, people right. like me and you, right. the people that's out here in this country. And But here's the thing, that we know that that people have, have historically not cared as much about people who uh, have been incarcerated or currently incarcerated. We've seen when there was flooding in, in, in on the East Coast a few years ago, how long it took the uh, folks to actually remove people out of prisons that was flooding, right? That's primarily because no one has all, have anticipated people like me with felony convictions being able to eventually vote, right? And I know that there are some people that's scared of seeing uh, this this new constituency of voters coming, 
You know, we have over 1.4 million here in Florida. And this recent court case, though, and, and the rulings in it, and with the judge's decision to uh, turn this lawsuit and make it a, a class action lawsuit, so where now any future rulings will apply to all of the 1.4 million instead of just 17 plaintiffs, right? What this does is sends a serious message because the courts have rejected the state's attempt to to uh, uh, suppress this lawsuit, right? What that says right now is how the governor, how any elected official, whether they're Democrat or Republican, respond to the needs of, of people who are incarcerated or people with felony convictions may have some serious consequences when election time comes because the way the courts is going, a lot of these 1.4 million people are going to be able to vote and they're going to not have short-term memory like some folks used historically had in the past. I'm going to go to Derek and Brooke in a minute. I want to bring in Cliff Albright, who is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Cliff, on this point, to hear Donald Trump just say out loud what we've always known, and this is part of the problem. Uh, even right now, in Wisconsin, I was, re I was um, actually retweeting a thread last night. The Republicans are desperate to hold on to a state Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin, that they are refusing anything to change, to, to allow any changes to the April 7th um, a primary. Because if, they, if they, they know for a fact, by holding on to that seat, it guarantees them to be able to kick folks off the voting rolls in November. Uh, they've, they've actually uh, had a state thus far where a federal judge ruled they cannot remove 200,000 people from the rolls. But that's what you see what's going on. And so you have Democrats in Wisconsin who have been pleading to say, wait a minute, this is about keeping folks safe. They don't care. Their whole deal is, nope, election is fine. Go to the polls. Even though in a number of counties, I think there's more than 100 now polling locations, they don't have enough people. They don't have enough hand sanitizer in those places. And this is the, what you're dealing with. And the reason I, and, and, and Desmond's right, it shouldn't be partisan, but the reality is this, Cliff. Republicans will do all they can to block, to suppress the vote. And that, to me, is shameful. It should not be that way, Cliff. Yeah, and it's exactly like what you said, Roland, uh, where uh, the man in the White House said out loud, well, we all know to be the case, but this isn't the first time that they've done that, right? We know that, uh, you know, just a few months ago, Mitch McConnell did the same thing in talking about the attempts to extend the Voting Rights Act, re restore voting rights, um, uh, restore voter security, election security, uh, that Mitch McConnell basically made the same remark, like, oh, y'all are just trying to do all this stuff because you want to be able to win elections. So they know that that this notion of um, expanding the electorate, of making it easier to vote, of, of expanding voting access, they know that that doesn't work in their favor and that they'll lose elections. And that's literally what Donald Trump said out of his mouth. It's amazing that Wisconsin will be trying to move forward with that election. And, and even even as their great leader, their grand, their grand leader, has said that even he put aside his Easter wish list um, it was going to extend his, his, his silly, you know, 30 days or whatever until the end of the month. If even he has done that and Wisconsin is behind him, then that really tells you all you need to know. Um, Derek and Brooke, I want to bring you in this conversation. This, this, this whole issue, this, is, this to me should not be uh, a partisan issue. First of all, there's no affirmative right to vote in our Constitution. It really is. We really don't have a federal election. We have state elections. Derek, I want to start with you. Uh, this is where 
uh, Republicans of conscience, you, you said it before, Republicans of conscience, conservatives, should be said to the party, stop getting in the way. You, if you want people to vote for you, damn it, compete for their vote. Don't restrict it. I agree with that, Roland. And you know, I've said many, many times, the Democrat, the Democrat Party takes for granted the black vote and Republicans don't do enough to get it. At the same time, black people need to get off their ass and go vote. Now, you and I, we talked about this on your show a few weeks ago when I was on the show. And the thing about it, in 2016, <clears throat> it was a low... This is according to the Pew Research Center. It was the lowest turnout ever since we've been, since we've been tracking elections for African-Americans. 59.6% people came out in 2016 after a record high in 2012. So the, the candidates also have to do a better job of their messaging to get people out to vote. But the point, Brooke, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter who the candidate is, doesn't matter who the party is. What should be happening here, very simple, and that is these politicians should be get the hell away. You should have nonpartisan commissions who are governing these elections. You shouldn't have these secretaries of state who are putting their thumb on the scale, changing the rules to benefit their parties. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, back in 2016, uh, the, the numbers were so low because I, I think it's easy for a lot of people on the outside, not not us, but on the outside of this to kind of look at it like, you know, black people specifically are just not, they don't want to vote. They're not doing what they want to do. But I think I, what I saw was so disappointing and what we're still seeing a little bit now is this like overwhelming kind of gross push to pull in this mythical swing voter that is this person that is a middle-class white person who switches back from Republican to Democrat, depending on, you know, who talks to them the best that election year. But when it really is, you know, it's a, there's a lot of black people who are completely being ignored, just, just like you just said, and also have to jump through hoops because of these ridiculous voter suppression tactics all around them. So not only do you have to get yourself to vote anyway, you know, not really seeing anybody act like they care about you, but then you've got to make sure you're still on the rolls over and over and over again. Make sure you can vote in the right place, not be afraid of weird prosecutions that, you know, we've been seeing. And I'm not surprised that Trump said what he said once because he's been just blatantly saying it all over and over again. But yeah, he, he's right. Voter suppression <laughs> means more Republican votes. That's why gerrymandering has been a thing for so long and it's so blatant now. But uh I, I guess I'm just not surprised by it. Uh, yeah. And Desmond, I want to go back to you. The reality is what y'all did in Florida was critically important. And frankly, uh, ballot initiatives, and look, it was very difficult uh, what y'all able to do. Took 10 years. Uh, you're still fighting it. Uh, yeah. But the reality is you have, to, you have to change state constitutions. Alicia Reese is trying to do a ballot initiative in Ohio to put the right to vote in the Constitution to cut these shenanigans out. And I think one important element of that, Roland, is the fact that, you know what? We didn't have any politicians involved in our campaign, right? And and I, I really do believe that part of our problem is that we can't pin our hopes on the individual, yep. right? We have to pin our hopes on ourselves, right? Just like I used to tell folks, that's how I was able to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. I didn't... I didn't rely on someone else to, to introduce me. I went and did it <laughs> myself, right? And that's how we... We can... Listen, we cannot depend on other people to get the things that we need, right? And our uh, our efforts in Amendment 4, 
You know, I remember the night, the two nights before the election, and I told folks that the most important person on that ballot was not named Andrew, was not named Ron, right? The most important person on that ballot was Uki and Ray Ray and, and the Desmonds and the Neils, and it showed on that night, right? And I, so I do believe that, that, yeah, we have to change constitutions in a lot of these states, but I, I also believe that the changes that we want to see, we cannot rely on an individual to uh, to make those changes. We can't wrap our hopes around an individual or a candidate. We need to actually wrap our hopes around our community and mobilize our community along some values that we all share. Mobilize our community along the lines of humanity. And when you do that, that becomes more powerful and more lasting because politicians will let you down. Politicians will lie to you. Politicians will do a 180 on you in a, in a heartbeat. Right, and so we have to invest on in our communities. We have to invest in our own. Cliff, uh, y'all, as y'all have traveled the country, y'all have seen that. Yeah, definitely. That's a big part of, of what our message is, and you know, one of the things that um, we often talk about is us believing that we have that power, right, and 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 that we have a right to that power because oftentimes we don't think we have a right to to use that power because it's been used against us so so many times in our past, but. You know, one of the things that I wanted, two, two things I want to mention real quick um, in relating regards to this is, one, you know, we talk a lot about disaster capitalism, right, about how, you know, every time a disaster happens, you got folks coming in, gentrification, they try to take advantage of it and try to make money. You know, this is very much a situation of disaster voter suppression, that under the, the cloud of all the justified concerns around coronavirus and our health status and and I know you've talked a lot about even the racism that's been seen within the dis within the response and disparate testing and all of that. But within all of this environment that you got folks coming in, trying to take advantage of the situation, use it for voter suppression, whether it's Wisconsin or whether even, even states like Georgia that are actually shifting towards voting by mail. But we always have to be careful because the devil's always in the details. And so it's not just about whether they shift the voting by mail. Right. When you shift the voting by mail, are you are you sending a prepaid envelope along that ballot to make it easy for folks to send that ballot back right. or that, right. that ballot back? Because if you don't do that, then that's the same thing as when you move a polling place five miles down the way. Every time you do something like that, you know that it's going to have a, a impact on turnout. Or um, if you if you um, if you have a, a postage, I'm mean, not a postage deadline, but you have a a ballot received deadline, meaning that the ballot has to be received by election day versus postmarked by election day. And so there's a lot of stuff within the voting by mail and some of the new policies and some of these um, some of these options that some of the states are going to that you know can sound good on the face of it, but once you get into the details, there's That's lots right. of room for suppression to take place in the way that That's they right. administer it. Um, I want to do a real round here. Uh, last one, uh, Desmond, I'll start with you. Uh, we look at these primaries, and the bottom line is this here. There is going to be an election in November, and we better be fully prepared for folks going all out to figure out as many restrictions as possible, everything that Cliff just outlined. So black folks better be fully prepared to fight Absolutely. until hell freezes over and then fight on the ice. Yep, so the challenge right now is being able to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. I mean, we cannot ignore the fact that this coronavirus epidemic is impacting real people, uh, impacting lives in, in, in ways unimaginable, right? We have folks who are not working and folks who uh, uh, um, don't have any source of, of supplementary income, 
uh, to provide for their families. We have people who are homeless right now on the streets that we don't know what to do with, right? And of course, our brothers and sisters that are in prison. So, you know, it's, but in spite of everything that's happening and the attention that this coronavirus is dictating, uh, we cannot lose a sight or cannot lose uh, uh, the eye on the prize or, or that goal, that ultimate goal that, that we have. And for us here in Florida, it is really that, you know, we've been silenced. People with felony convictions have been silenced for so long uh, that we're looking at 80, uh, 2020 as our time, our moment to make our voices heard. And we're going to take full advantage of it. Uh, but we have to do, we, you know, we have to balance, you know, uh, how much, uh, uh, how aggressive are we going to uh, register people to vote and, and, and train them and make sure that they're, turning in the change agents in their communities and bringing their family and families uh, family and friends to the polls or having them vote by mail uh, and, and we have to balance that with the fact that we have to also be cognizant of people's needs because real life goes on when I was in jail and I was getting ready to get out I wasn't rubbing my hands together and saying man I can't wait to get out to vote you know we had real life issues that I had to deal with first where I'm gonna live you know uh, uh, where am I going to get uh, 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 funds to pay bills or take care of my family. So those are these are real life issues that we're facing right now with the coronavirus, and we're trying to do it in such a way or, or engage in such a way that where we can balance the two. But we're definitely not losing sight uh, of the prize that lays ahead, and that is making sure that the uh, people who with felony convictions are, are making a significant impact. Can we cover the gap in all these elections? not only in the state of Florida, but across this country, in Louisiana, in, in, in California, in, in North Carolina, in, in Philadelphia, in Michigan, we cover the gap, and we want to make sure that our presence is felt while at the same time tending to the needs of our comrades. Derek, it is going to be a tough fight, pure and simple, uh, when it comes to what's going to happen over the next few months in November uh, for these not just presidential elections, but senatorial elections, uh, congressional elections, uh, gubernatorial. Uh, you got legislatures that are up for grabs as well. It is going to be impact us if this coronavirus, if, if we have not uh, made this thing extinct by the fall. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I, I look at what's happening and even, you know, the article you're talking about, Wisconsin, that kind of thing, and the other brother was talking, I think any change right now in our electoral system is going to have a negative impact on the African-American community. And I say that just because on a whole, we just don't like change. And if we start talking about asking people to mail in a ballot and we haven't provided that return envelope, I think we open up a whole can of worms, a whole, like we said, a whole nother type of voter suppression. I think any type of change, if it hasn't gotten, hadn't been tested before we implement it, I think we open up voter suppression. So the idea that the Republicans are putting these, these different ways out there to, 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 to suppress the black vote, I think some of the things that we're looking at could be easier, could actually backfire for African-Americans. Well, well, the reality is, Brooke, is this the way the way to beat it is to vote right that's it absolutely vote local elections matter every single election matters and right now there's more evidence of it than uh than ever before vote. uh absolutely uh cliff i'm gonna give you the final word here uh look y'all have been Going, going to places a lot of other people ignore, going to these small rural places where black people are, who they don't see politicians, they don't see campaigns. 
And the reality is, we if we actually maximize our power, Jamie Harrison can beat Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. Uh, you can actually see states flip. You can see uh, what happens when we do. We saw what happened in 2008. Obama runs in North Carolina. He wins by 14,100 votes. They immediately go under massive voter suppression because they were scared. The bottom line is here. You put the right folks in place, you can then control the laws, and that has to happen. So, Cliff, final comment. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I actually think, to your point about South Carolina, I actually think that what we're seeing now in terms of this assumption that this coronavirus is a city issue, right? You're seeing some of that narrative even coming out of the White House and from other places as well. This assumption that it's not affecting red states, which we know is false, right? We know that one of the states that has the rises rates of increase right now um, is, is Louisiana. We know Florida's right behind it, again, right here in Georgia. And so I think that this attitude that you've seen from some of these uh, red state governors and some of these legislatures um, are, is actually going to come back and haunt them. So that you could see in a state like South Carolina where people, because they were neglected and because there were more deaths than what should have taken place, that people do kind of respond and say, well, wait a minute, we need to, we need to uh, take another look at some of these policies. We need to take another look at Medicaid expansion. We need to take another look at um, these folks that are always constantly trying to act like government serves no purpose. And so, um, again, to your point, um, believing we have the power, investing in the right people, in all of these states and in all these counties um, so that they have the resources that it takes to mobilize folks, especially in a time of need. Um, if that takes place, if we get the right resources to the right people um, with the right mindset that we have the power to do, then we can see, um, we can see history made in this election. Uh, indeed. Cliff Albright, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Desmond Thank Mee, thanks a lot, man. What y'all doing in Florida uh, with uh, the Restoration Project. Thank you so very much. Also want to thank Brooke Thomas uh, for being here, of course. Uh, Brooke, uh, regular panelist, and Derek Holly. Thanks a bunch as well. I tolerate, <laughs> I tolerate you being Omega, but it's all good. All right, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Just, just keep all that purple and gold stuff out of the video frame when we live. All right. Folks, got to go to a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to a white school board member in Montgomery, Alabama, who says she is simply fed up with racism denying critical dollars to black students. I will talk with her next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. No, 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 come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. All right, folks, um, I was on social media and I came across this story and I said, wow, we have definitely got to uh, talk about this. And that is, this video here uh, out of Alabama and the school board member, white woman, gives this impassioned plea, angry, upset about her county, how they allocate money to hire lobbyists, but fail to fund school districts with majority black children. Watch this. I'm gonna say some things, and maybe I'll get fired from being on the board. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I, I've got to say my piece about this. I wasn't alive 
when the civil rights movement started, but my people were, and they made decisions then, and that's why we're sitting in this situation now. Come on now. Now let me just say this. I grew up in domestic violence, child abuse, alcohol, and everything. I'm not going to talk about me, but school was my safe place. And when I was in seventh grade, I made a commitment to God and to Christ that everything in me, I was going to commit to this city to help a child if it was in my power to do so. Unfortunately, the same people that look like me are the ones that are blocking this. They should be first in line to say, we want to support you and we want to support the black children in this community because that's what we're talking about. And when I ran for school board, I want y'all to know as the first person that said that, that it's a race problem. I wasn't able to speak up in the 60s because I wasn't born and I was too young, but I'll be damned. I'm going to speak up for it now and it's going to make a lot of people mad. My day started this morning at 7.30 with a call from Montgomery Police. For those of you who don't know, I work at Child Protect. Because a six-year-old baby, kindergarten little girl, has been being raped over the last several months by a 51-year-old neighbor. That's how my day started. You know how it came out? Because her grades started dropping. And she was having behavior problems. But we didn't have the counselors in place, and we didn't have the teachers that knew how to respond to that except to make her go stand in the hall day after day. And you know what? She finally, because her mother wanted to know what was going on, so she told her. This had been going on for months. So she told her, and when she came to us today, she said, if I tell y'all, are you going to be mad? Am I going to be in trouble? Because we don't have the funding for that. Because the black and brown children are not important to people that look like me. They're not important, but they're important to me. Joining us right now is Jana Bailey. Jana, glad to have you in Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, can you hear me? <laughs> Jana Bailey, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, there we go. I can. There we go. Um, you, uh, that was uh, about a two-minute version of that video. Uh, you had some other comments uh, that you made there. I mean, what was it that set you off where you said, we've got to call out, call this thing what it is, racism is the heart of denying resources to black kids in your school district? Well, what started it is we have, um, we have a new superintendent and several of us ran for to make a new school board because that nothing was getting done. We have the lowest millage or property tax in the state required by law. We are at 10 mills. Um, and so we have been asking legislators, and I don't know if you know the viewers are familiar with how a property tax has to be passed, and it may be different in Alabama because you know we're so backwards on a lot of things, but it has to be a resolution from the school board and then it goes to the county commission because our school district is a county school system. And so the county commission has to vote on a, a resolution that then has to go to the legislature. The local, delegate, the, the local delegation has to be a unanimous on voting and then it goes to the full body to pass a bill for it to come back to Montgomery County for the voters to vote on it. So all of this, and we get to the very end where it is in the legislature, uh, in the legislation, and it is being supported except by two 
white a senator and a representative, and they were blocking it. So essentially, what it was doing was saying that we are not going to allow the people in Montgomery County to vote for this. Now, the demographics of Montgomery, I don't know if you're familiar with this, no, I am. Um, are 36% white in Montgomery County. So I am not a real smart person, but I was smart enough that I can see that by not letting it go to the vote, there was no way it was going to pass. Because if it gets to the people, the, the majority of people that are black and brown in our county, they're going to vote for better schools for their kids. But we've got to get it on a ballot. And so it was just one more way of not having them to have the ability to vote. The second part of that is in our county, we have another school system that is out in the county. Um, it's, it's Pike Road, and it is predominantly white. And when it was, um, the, the school has been in existence, it'll be five years in August. When they went to the county or to the, and the city and the legislation to ask for 28 meals, it was passed with no problem. Ours is at 10, theirs is at 28. So we were having to vote that night on, on, the, on having to hire lobbyists to go down to the state house to lobby these two, the senator and the representative that were standing in the way. And we were, we voted on that that night, which was March 11th, and then March 13th is when all the coronavirus hit. So the legislature is now out, and um, the chances of it getting on the ballot in the fall is probably next to zero. But that's the long and short of it. I mean, that's pretty much what happened. I was in Alabama more than a year ago. I had uh, one of my school choice is the Black Choice Town Halls at a church there. And at the time, uh, they told me that the school the school system uh, was under the control of the state. The state had taken it over. Uh, is that still the, is that still the case in Montgomery? Yes, we are still under state um, jurisdiction, and they still. However, we um, in the last year, four of the seven board members are new, and it, we have been on there um, just a little over a year, and we are making great strides to come out from under that. So we are very hopeful that by the end of this school year, um, that we will come back out from under state intervention. And, and, and again, uh, I've spent enough time there where people don't understand really how archaic Alabama is on this. So when you talk about this, this majority, um, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of like, you know, Louisiana just changed their law where it used to be you could literally send somebody to the death penalty uh, without requiring a unanimous decision. I, I don't know of many places where it requires a unanimous vote uh, you know, uh, from of your board, and so are there. Mm -hmm. So, is a law that that yeah, all board members must vote to allow it to go. So, like, like who who determine who votes, who picks, and so how does that even work? To so it's so crazy. I mean, Roland, right. it's so crazy. Okay, so what happens? The seven board members with the superintendent, we we know we need more money. We we are at poverty level. We have twenty nine thousand students in our district and we are losing between 700 and 1,000 every year. So we, we need more money. These kids are going to school in the buildings that are crumbling before them. So what happens is the school board says, okay, we need more money. The school board then votes on a resolution at a school board meeting. We all sign it, we say, yes, we want a millage increase, a property tax, because that's where most of the money comes from. 
So we take our resolution to the county commission. The county commission has to do a public hearing so people can come and talk about it. Um, at the public hearing, most of the people that spoke were in favor of it because they want better schools. They want to have counselors. They want um, advanced placement. They want arts in the schools. And we don't have that now. They want their kids to be able to take books home. So the county commission had to vote on a resolution. It did not have to be the majority. So the two that abstained look like me and the others voted for it and it passed the county commission. Then the county commission sent their resolution to our local le leg uh, legislation, le uh, local delegation, which is the representatives and the senators that represent Montgomery. So that they all had to approve. So wait, so, so wait, 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 so, 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 so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in order to raise taxes for schools. Property tax. Property yes. taxes for schools. School board votes. Then it has to go to a county commission. Yes. Then it has to get approved by a state rep and a state senator before it goes on the ballot? No, there's another step. It gets has to be approved by the local legislation, which are the representatives and senators that represent Montgomery County. They all have to agree, and then it goes to the full legislator, le legislative body, and they have to vote a bill to say, okay, we're going to let Montgomery County put this on the ballot so people can vote for it in the fall or whenever whoa, 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 they... Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the entire state legislature mm -hmm. has to vote... Yes. ...to what people in this one county can do. Yes, yes. Yes. What? Okay, I've I've covered politics. I've covered politics my entire professional life. I'm 51. I have never heard of that many levels for a county to raise property taxes for a school district. I've I've never that that's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling, and you know. I was not aware of this either. I thought, oh, we just put it on the ballot like anything else that we want to vote for, and it's voted for, and it passes or it doesn't pass. But this has to go through all of these different channels. And um, like I said, that night that we, we were having to vote, and, and we voted for it. I mean, it passed our board. We had already voted on the resolution. What we were voting on on March 11th was lobbyists that we were having to hire at about $10,000 a month so that they could lobby these two people to see that they needed us to at least get it on the ballot. So that's, that is where the frustration. And we're talking and you about know, it. Roland, you know enough about the South and you know about Alabama and you know about Montgomery that this is deep seated. Our, our, I grew up here in Montgomery and I am a product of the public schools. I graduated from Lanier in 1979, a little bit older than you are, but not by much. Um, but I, I went to public schools and, you know, they were integrated when I was in the third grade. I'm not good with math, so I, I can't do how old I was or what year that was. <laughs> but I was in third grade. And, you know, for the kids going to school, there was not, I mean, there was no problem. We all played on the playground together. But it was, as the years went by, and it got to be in about 1986, 87, and the powers that be, 
um, decided to try and keep white people in our school system, they were going to implement a magnet program that was still within the schools, but it was a magnet program. And that was a way to keep white kids in the school. And it, it worked for a while. And then they moved those programs out of the traditional school buildings. And so now they are separate. They're no longer in the traditional school buildings, which is, is also a problem because no longer are the smart kids or the 10% who are now in magnet schools, um, they are no longer eating in the cafeteria. Right. They're not cheering with them. They're not on sports with them. So we have another level of segregation because what happened with that, and, and you know, we'll just air all our dirty laundry tonight, but what happened with that is a lot of the, the magnet schools, they were limited to the enrollment. So, it's, for example, if ABC school said, okay, we can only have 300 ninth through 12th graders in our school this year. So it was a an application process. And so if you were the 301st child and you were trying to get into this program because you played the trumpet really well or you were a great artist or photographer or singer or you were great in math or the languages, too bad. You're not going to get into the magnet program. And so now you are in a traditional school and the opportunities drop drastically because if they don't have that extra learning ability and they're not reaching their cap of learning and they're not given the equal opportunities. Uh, the reason I know that system well, the real, I, I'm a product of a Houston Independent School District in the magnet school programs. Uh, went to a magnet school in elementary school, went to a magnet school in high school. And yes, magnet schools were created in many of these places to desegregate schools. Uh, and so you place magnet programs in predominantly white schools, predominantly Latino schools, predominantly black schools to be able to bring a racially diverse group into it. So you're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense to remove them because you go back exactly. to, frankly, your segregated schools and you're also removing those, those what some call gifted and talented programs uh, out of those schools. And so, so when it comes to this issue, so, so what's next? You know, what's the next step? What can people do? What can our audience do? Uh, well, how are y'all rallying people there in Montgomery to get these, to get the state rep and state senate to say, hey, you represent the people, not vice right. versa? Right. Well, sadly, as, as you know, the, as all the stuff that has happened now with the coronavirus, now let's think about this. Most of our children, about 65 to 70 percent of our children in the public school, I'm talking about the traditional public schools, yep. are at or below poverty level. OK, and so they a lot of them do not have access to Wi-Fi and they certainly don't have access. If there are four or five kids in a home, they each don't have their own computers. So now, just like everything across the country, we are going to online school. And, and this is how children are going to learn. So what can we do here? We don't have a lot of extra money. So we can't say, okay, everybody is going to get a tablet or everybody's going to get, uh, you know, some type of um, equipment to be able to do their work online. I did just hear from the superintendent um, who is wonderful. Dr. Ambroy Moore is the superintendent Montgomery County, and she has led us for the last two and a half years. She's doing a phenomenal job. She works great under pressure. But I did get an email, and it looks like we're going to be able to use. Now, listen how antiquated this is. I mean, this is the best we can do, and we're going to do it. 
But we are going to be able to put our school buses, the big yellow school buses, park them in neighborhoods. Right. And be able to have Wi-Fi off of that or hotspots. Well, I'm, in fact, uh, in fact, it, South Carolina, the exact same thing. Three thousand school buses were converted to, to mobile hotspots. And that's and that's what we're going to do. That's great. But how are, it doesn't matter if you have Wi-Fi if you don't have the equipment to use. Right. I mean, you can have a mobile hotspot, but if there's no computer, right. no laptop, no iPad. Uh, the, 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 you know, as, as a saving grace is that, and this is one of the things on the digital, so when you talk about digital divide, African-Americans always over-indexed uh, on phones because for a lot of poor African-Americans, it was either have a cell phone or have uh, or a home phone. Folks chose cell phones. And so the reality is we over-index on that, but that's still talking about uh, some, a lot of these programs, a lot of these apps, you can't actually access on your phone. You need to actually have a desktop. And this, and, and what, I, what I've said in all of our coverage uh, since coronavirus uh, has really uh, come up in the last really more than a month, I've said that this coronavirus has exposed the underbelly of America. All yes. of, first of all, all of the people we treat like crap, we desperately need right now. Okay. Amen. Uh, all these parents are going crazy who are like, oh my God, where are these teachers? Mm hmm. All these mm -hmm. people who say uh, we should be paying nurses more. Oh, they really wish we had more nurses and health, uh, health practitioners. And it's showing that the, the haves and the have nots, this assumption that everybody has broadband, everybody has Wi Fi. And when you talk about rural areas, it's even worse. It is worse, particularly over in the western part of Alabama. Um, which is considered the black belt, which is the poorest and the ruralest. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it. And the, it, all, it is going to put these children behind. And I don't know if any other states did this, but we passed a law. And I really, I'm sorry, I don't remember if it goes into effect in August of 2020 or August 2021. But we passed a law that said if a child was not reading at third grade level, by the time they finished third grade, they were going to be held back. So, let's talk about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, know, you, 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 you don't pass. First behind. of all, you don't pass such a law if you then don't provide the necessary resources right. to the school districts in order to actually make that happen. I, and, and, but, but see, that to me is also what angers me when you have politicians who pass laws who Two. don't even think about. Two or three, a handful of politicians that pass these laws, and that is what angers me. They're not the people that are on the front line, and they have no idea, and they don't understand it. And they, they don't know what these children, it's easy for them to sit in the ivory towers, but they never walk the schools, and they've never seen what these kids, what they come into. If you can't even go to the bathroom because the plumbing is broken and the doors are broken off of the school, the school I went to high school and uh, was built in 1929. I graduated in 1979. It has not changed at all. Mm. The same lead paint that was in on the walls in the library is still on the walls in the library. The ceiling is falling down on an in on a number of schools. So our infrastructure right now, just to to get these schools up to maintain safety, as far as I'm concerned, is 220 million dollars. If we were able to pass. And we weren't even asking for a lot, Roland. We were only asking for nine additional meals. That was it, just to bring us up to 19. That that would have given us enough money over the next 30 years to be able to fix the infrastructure, have more resource officers, provide arts in the school, and provide advanced classes for all of the children. 
All I'm asking is equal, equal education so that they can reach their full potential. And you ask, what do we do from that from here on out? Well, you know, I obviously I have a lot of friends that are white. I, you know, that would just be natural. And um, some of them have said things to me like, I can't believe that you spoke. And, you know, why did you say that? And you're not going to get elected again because, you know, you live in a Republican white district. I didn't run to get elected again. I didn't run to just keep a warm seat. I ran because we have issues in Montgomery County. And this is my this is my circle of influence. And so if it, if there if the people that look like me don't begin to start speaking up, then you know what? What's Ah. We froze. She's about to drop the mic. All right, get it fixed. I, I need her to finish her last comment. I got to have her finish her last comment. All right, let me know. Man, Jana was about to drop the mic. I'm trying to remember. If people like me don't speak up, uh, and so I want her to finish that, that particular point. Uh, do we have her? Yeah, her video froze. Uh... Okay, so go ahead and let me know when y'all have her. Yeah, my control room is working on it right now. Uh, and uh, so give me, get, just give me, just give, just give me one second. All right, I think we got it. All right, here we go. Here we so go. you said if, if 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 people like uh, you, you talk about your your white neighbors, if people like me don't speak up. If if we don't speak up right now, we are going to lose our city. And this is my home. I mean, this is where I live and I work and I play and I love this. I, I love my city. But more importantly, I love these children. And I want these children that are growing up in poverty, that are growing up in public housing, I want them to be my doctor one day. And I want them to be my dentist. And I want them to be my teacher. I want them to be the artist and the, the well, I won't say politician, but I want them to be a talk show host. I want them to reach their full potential. Maybe they are going to have their own electric company. Maybe they're going to have their own plumbing. But right now, they are not getting the opportunities. And people say, oh, you can't throw money at the problem. That's what I hear all the time. They're not managing the money right. What are you talking about? There is no money to manage. There is no money there. Jana Bailey, we appreciate your passion. We, we're glad you spoke up. Uh, one of the reasons why I created this show is so uh, we could have someone like you uh, and others who have a platform to speak to folks across the country. Uh, and so keep it up and uh, whatever we can do, keep us abreast of what happens, whatever we can do to help, uh, just let us know. I will, Roland. And listen, it has really been a true honor to be able to be on your show. And I hope a lot of people are listening to th that plea and let us use our voices and continue talking about this. this. We may be on the crux. I was listening to your show earlier. Um, I think we're on the crux of something really big. You just, uh, you just said it. The coronavirus has uncovered a lot of ugly in this country. But on the other side of that, there's going to be a lot of good because there are people like you and me that are going to keep fighting for it. And I got a lot of people behind me, too. All right. Well, we're certainly there with you. Jana Bailey, thanks a lot. We well, appreciate it. Thanks, Roland. Bye. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, folks. This is why we do what we do.
and we certainly need your support. We've got more than 2,000 people who are sitting here uh, watching us uh, on, on YouTube. we got uh, nearly 1,000 on Facebook. The reality, folks, we're an independent media company. Uh, the coronavirus has greatly impacted all media companies. We're seeing massive layoffs all across the country. We're seeing people uh, furlough workers. We're seeing them slash pay, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the reality is uh, we greatly depend on you, and so we want you to support what we do. Your dollars uh, bring, bring the Funk Fan Club make all of this possible. You heard me say this repeatedly, and I'm not joking. If 20,000, just and I've got more than 2.6 million followers. If 20,000 of our followers gave on average 50 bucks each, that's it, $4.19 a day, excuse me, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day, whole show's taken care of for a whole year. And so we need you to support uh, what we do. Uh, Cheryl Lee, I want to thank your donation for your donation on YouTube. Thank you so very much. Uh, I see that. Uh, folks, uh, all you got to do, you can do Cash App, which is uh, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. If you go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com, you can also contribute to us uh, via, via Cash App, PayPal, or Square. Uh, you know, we, look, I, I, I'm going to just say it. This is not being arrogant. There is no other black media outlet giving you this kind of information every single day. Nope. Stop. Okay, no black website, no black cable network. You have the Black News Channel. Thankfully, they, they, they launched. They're doing it. But we're y'all, you see the kind of information we're giving you every single day. We need your support. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, tomorrow, uh, my girl, uh, Laura Mora, she's a bartender in Miami. Uh, she's going to join us showing you some creative drinks you can make since you're stuck in the house at home. Uh, and so we got to have some fun as well as with the serious stuff we do. I'll see you guys tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Holla! Be safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.